Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we talk about trends and how to use them to grow your business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. And we are Spark Partners. Today we are talking about current events, and uh, we want to sort of shed some light on things happening in the world. Uh, but as always, we talk about how to grow your business and to learn about how to grow your business. Go to our website at sparkpartners.com. And today, Adam, I'm reporting from the offices of the uh, Rittock and Powell Engineering Associates in Phoenix, and they are working on lots of really cool projects with respect to construction and engineering management. They're basically civil engineers. And so I, I don't know if, well, we all know that you're an electrical engineer and I'm a mechanical engineer. So civils are another one of the original kind of uh, the, the builders, the bridge builders, the road builders. And I'll tell you what, on the way up here today from Tucson, there was one construction project after another. I have lots of friends in the construction industry, and of course, one of the big issues that they are facing is a substantial need for workers. Now, you being in California, how, are you seeing any major issues with the workforce, and especially as it pertains to construction? Well, the biggest issue in California is lack of tradespeople. Uh, just not enough carpenters, plumbers, electricians. Uh, that's a, a pretty obvious uh, uptake. Uh, the second one is the argument around immigration. Uh, when it comes to a lot of jobs, there's a, a percentage of the high percentage of the population would like to see greater immigration and uh, uh, not and a, and a more lax approach towards immigration, um, like ICE uh, deporting people out of the country to try to solve the um, woes of employ employment woes. Um, but I, I'm not, we can certainly find other parts of the country where the uh, opposite mentality exists. And so those geographical biases are pretty clear. Yeah, you know, what's interesting with, with all the things we talk about at Spark Partners, I think the mo one of the most fascinating things is that everything is interconnected in, in ways that we can't even imagine. So we hear one thing from one industry and there are implications into other industries. You know, you and I were talking about a little earlier about this company called Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is among the leaders of the, the WYSIWYG type of website builders. What you see is what you get. Of course, there's Wix. There's others that have been out there for a long time, Webflow. But what in particular about uh, this Squarespace that is interesting to you, Adam, is you mentioned the founder is worth a couple billion dollars. And so what's your, your take on that? Well, again, uh, you know, 2009, the founders of Squarespace uh, recognized, or he thought, hey, this whole podcasting thing is going to get big. People are going to listen to podcasts, and they will uh, pay money to listen to podcasts, and there will be ads in podcasts. And in 2009, it's quite clear there were a lot of podcasts being made. Uh, it was not... But most people didn't see it. I mean, look, CNN's just coming out with their podcast series now. So we've got uh, the major uh, headline media companies like CNN, Fox, NBC, just now stepping up with uh, products related to uh, distributing uh, podcasts, running ads, and helping people make money with podcasts. These guys in 2009 said, hey, you know what? We think that this is going to be a really big part of the media. Broadcast is going to decline, and this will fill a vacuum. Um, and, and they were right, and it's worked out for them. I know that this weekend I was uh, literally going to buy some groceries, and I, on the radio I heard a, an article about um, 
a couple of transgendered people that were te- that had podcasts teaching math, and these po- these podcasts have become extraordinarily popular. And they were asking these uh, transgendered people why they thought it got more popular, and they said because a lot of the people who taught math were just boring, and they didn't try to make even though math is a lively topic, it maths around us and everything in our lives, and if you can relate math to things that go on like how fast you drive and a probability of having accidents, and there are a lot of places to apply math. They, you know, it's caught in a really boring way and that they yeah. just had come up with a more interesting way and they happened to be transgendered. But their podcasts had gotten really, really successful and they were all making money at it. So it just, you know, the, 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 the medium has exploded. And, you know, yeah. you have to get... And what we're trying to do is tell people all the time is you want to be like those guys in 2009. You want to look at the things that are growing and say this is going to continue to grow and then put your money in that. Uh, one of the things that interviewed for the New York Times, the founder said, was that he started off with $20,000. And when he first started buying ads to get people to come to the, to the podcasts, you know, they were, they were single-digit $1,000 investments. And, you know, now they do Super Bowl ads. So, right. Well, <laughs> you know, that's actually changed. It's actually, it's a very good segue, Adam, actually at two levels, because at one level, um, you know, you and I have mentioned and I've mentioned to people that I work with that Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who, of course, was the uh, the initial MC there at the Super Bowl, uh, may be one of the last mega superstars of the ages. And the reason why is that people now are gravitating towards more micro influencers, nano influencers people that they can settle in on uh, their particular um, taste, purview, what have you. And, you know, also the big budget movies that a couple hundred million dollar movies are no longer at the same level. So that dovetails really nicely into this conversation with, with Squarespace. And, you know, we have a podcast. I have other friends that have podcasts and they all have a, a different slant, a different flavor. And if you're not being, uh, if you're not aware of that and not doing one of those things, you might want to reconsider that. The, the democratization of the media is kind of the overall conversation here. Where once the media was controlled by editors, so you had three major networks, they controlled their content. You had uh, major newspapers controlling their content. Uh, and, and to get your word out, if you tried to publish your own uh, news rag, you weren't going to get very far, right? Uh, we've seen with the, you know, going back with the Internet now 30 years, um, how people have utilized that technology to build their own platforms. And, you know, it's gone, now it's huge. It's not just podcasts, you know, it's Instagram. With uh, We talked last week about Meta and what's going on with uh, Facebook uh, growth rate being a little bit slower, but the Instagram growth rate's really, really high. So we're just seeing a transition because people have uh, a big transition. I'm a very lazy media um, customer. Uh, I grew up with the era of you, you only got what they gave you and you didn't have much choice. And so I tend to not pay a lot of attention. And kind of, can I just turn on the television to a broadcast network and watch something? And uh, I'm pretty lazy about trying to hunt up something to watch. Uh, but, you know, I suffer for that because when I talk to other people that just put, you know, a tiny amount of energy into it, they start telling me all these great things that they watch on television, great documentaries, um, people that put more energy into pulling down podcasts than I do. It's really, you know, an opportunity that if you, for, for a person to get ahead because they can get to content that they want that will help them be successful, 
Whereas that content before wasn't available to you. You know, somebody had to, the only way you could try to get ahead on your own was to write a book, but self-published books went nowhere 30 years ago. So now we've got a, a very real world where if you've got something to say, there's a place to say it. But if you want to learn, there's a lot of places to learn. And that's yeah. really good. That's really good for people. What's remarkable is, um, you know, we, we talk about or we hear about the oil rush or the gold rush or whatever, the, even the dot-com bubble, the, the beginning side of it, or the real estate bubble. You name, you name all these things. Well, there's a content bubble that people are involved with right now. There's a guy named Kabi Lame, and um, he is a um, – he's from – I believe he's from uh, West Africa. And he is a TikTok video sensation. And all he does in TikTok and Instagram, he's got 69 0.7 million followers on Instagram. All he does is point out the obvious. He literally has 20 second long videos where he's pointing out the obvious. So let me give you an example. There's a video that I saw this morning randomly of somebody trying to recover a uh, credit card that had fallen in, in a park bench. So they're using all these crazy tools and they're, they're trying to be funny about it, right? And then his whole play is that he comes up sits on the bench, stands up, walks around the bench, reaches over, picks up the credit card, and does this sort of voila uh, hand gesture. And by doing so, by having 67.9 million followers, or whatever it is, 69.7, he's, he's actually earning an income, a multi-million dollar income. YouTube and Instagram and Facebook pay you money because they're able to get these high-level sponsors in line with your, your message. It's remarkable. So there's the gold rush. But now it's the content rush. Yeah, and I think uh, there's two pieces to that. One is if you're not in, if you if you don't have a hook in the water, back to my old river analogies. If you don't have a hook in the water, you're not going to catch any fish, right? And if you're trying, and if you're going to fish, you want to go where the fish are. That's where you're going to catch them. And that what we're talking about here is that now podcasts are an opportunity to get your hook in the water, and these podcast platforms are the places where the fish are. So you can now pretty well target out where you want to be and go for it. Um, the key is, can you do something that's interesting that will generate an audience? And then the second part we're going to discover over the next five years is going to be sustainability. Um, will this gentleman be able to sustain his 66 million followers for five years? Or will they grow weary of the short podcast with the obvious? And will they go move on to something else? That's one of the phenomenon we're seeing now, certainly with Instagram and TikTok, is a lack of sustainability. People build huge audiences, but then they fall off really, really quickly again. That's okay. I mean, no problem with somebody doing something quick and making money. Um, you know, a lot of people went to Hollywood and, and shot a TV series and made some money. And it was only one and only time they were ever on television or only made one or two movies. And they went back to a different lifestyle and something else they wanted to do. So sustainability, though, is something we look for in business. And uh, yes. if we're talking to people and I'm saying, hey, you got your uh, 66 million viewers, my next question would be, what are you going to do about them? What, what will they be wanting to look at in five years? Are they going to be um, happy with the kind of entertainment you're giving them today? Because honestly, most of the TikTok, uh, most of the TikTok content is entertainment. You know, it's dancing, it's singing, it's music, it's comedy. So and it's a, and that's a tough, tough competitive world. So the challenge will be, can you keep it sustainable, right? Or, is, or are you yeah. literally trying to say, I want to take the money and run? Which is, again, if somebody wants to do that, I don't hold it against them. But in our world, the business world, we want to be thinking about sustainability and, and, and you know, what's going to probably be working down the road. 
Um, I uh, again back to current events, and we were talking about immigration a little bit ago. Um, there's a senator out of Wisconsin that I just personally have absolutely no value for, his name Ron Johnson. Well, why would I want to single out and say something bad about a senator? Is because he's got an amazing knack for saying things that are unrelated to the real world. Uh, he makes up his own facts, but worse than that, he tends to talk in terms of trends that are completely outdated, past or gone. And uh, this weekend, he uh, said that the uh, infrastructure bill, which had already been passed, not Build Back Better, the original infrastructure bill, had quite a bit of money in it for these uh, defense contractors, people, as you said, building bridges and building highways and roads. And one of, a very large contractor in the state of Wisconsin is called Oshkosh. And they make a lot of really big equipment. They sell a lot to the Defense Department. And he had called them up and said, look, you have ava money available for you. I don't want you to take the money. And the reason I don't want you to take the money is because um, we have a very low unemployment rate in Wisconsin. It's 2.8%. And uh, I think our economy is absolutely great and you shouldn't do it. And I just thought to myself, God, those poor people in Wisconsin, because the reality is that, yes, the unemployment rate is low, and that's because you have people that are unable to, unwilling to be part of the workforce. The number of people in the workforce is declining, while the number of people in the state has not. And the reason is it's an aging population, back to our old line of demographics that we've been talking about for the longest time. The population of Wisconsin is aging. People are getting older. They're retiring and they're not working. And so you're, every month you're getting more retirees for the number of workers in Wisconsin. And what Ron Johnson should be doing is he should be just trying to get Oshkosh to get all the money they can so they can recruit people and say, hey, look, we've got this hot new EV technology. We're right. making giant EV equipment. We're making all kinds of new cutting-edge uh, um, uh, products for bridges, for roadways, for uh, ramp-ups, for uh, all kinds of things for the military. Come here because you'll be part of the wave of development using uh, money that you couldn't get in private industry by using government grant money. And then attract people, attract people of all ages to come in and be part of the workforce to build the workforce in the state. And the fact that um, the senator just doesn't seem to recognize that we have an aging population and you don't measure by the unemployment rate anymore. The unemployment right. rate just isn't going to tell you what you need to know when you've got so many people that are retiring. Um, so it's just a bad another example of somebody not, not really looking at the, the long term what's going on, not looking at all the data, but just pick, picking up a couple of little data points and then you know, having a knee-jerk reaction to it. Um, yeah, to, to circle back to the content problem or content uh, conversation, a lot of what happened, what you just mentioned, is the guy's wrap, wrapped himself around uh, a soundbite. Yeah. Right? He looks at a number, uh, 2.7, whatever it is, and he wraps his arms around it and says, um, this is what, look how amazing this is. We don't need this. <laughs> and, you know, you and I, Adam, talked about this at, at nauseum that if, you have, if you're a company and you have the ability to raise money, if you have the ability to move your company forward you have to do it because if you're not growing you're dying and it, this is a limited mindset we see it more than we would like to of this limited mindset of people don't really they they're not willing to do the hard work of looking at the mirror to begin with and then looking at their own company with a magnifying glass to be able to understand are we aligned with trends are we aligned with something that's that's growing or are we aligned with a dying industry right and, it's remarkable. And again, taking a long-term look at things versus looking at the headline. Let's take a look at inflation. Once again, last week, a lot of attention goes to the headline, which is that inflation was at something like, I think, 7% versus a year ago. Oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. Inflation is horrible. Inflation is terrible. 
And um, the reality couldn't be further from the truth. If you took, if you know anything about inflation over time, you'd be looking at this and you'd be uh, understand why this is really not a big problem right now. Let's just take a couple of, of, of looks at this. If you looked at the decades of the 1980s up to the end of the 70s, go up to the year 2000, what did you see? Well, at the end of the 70s and the early 80s, we had this hyperinflation. And up until then, inflation had been considered a good thing because think of a think of the economy as a balloon. If you have no inflation, it always stays the same size. Well, then, then growth is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Somebody's got to get smaller for somebody to get bigger, which is what was wrong with the gold standard for the currency, for example, is that now you've just got a set amount of gold, so you've got a set currency, so you can't grow. And we realized that if we grew that 2 or 3%, even by growing the, you know, the, the, the money base by 2 or 3%, you're building, you're letting the balloon get bigger. And so that inflation was a good thing, let the balloon get bigger. But what happened was in the late 19, by the time we get into the late 1970s and the 1980s, um, not knowing how to actually manage the money supply yet, uh, the Federal Reserve managed interest rates. And in trying to keep interest rates at tagged, par, uh, pegged, targeted rates, they weren't really watching the money supply. And to keep the targeted rates low, they kept producing more and more and more money. And then what happened was you had too low of an interest rate compared to the amount of money being produced, and we got this runaway inflation. Now, this had never happened before. We now had the monitors coming out like Milton Friedman, and they're starting to explain how monetary policy is an issue. But it caused stagnation in the economy. So it wasn't the inflation that was horrible as much as the stagnant economy. You had no growth in wages. You had no growth in product prices other than oil. So you had the stagnant economy, no growth, and you had runaway money supply. Those two caused stagflation. So you had this bad period. But then we got that. We learned that. We understood that. You know, Milton Friedman writes his book, and the monitors come in, and Paul Volcker jacks interest rate, prime rate up to like 12%, 13%, cracks the back of inflation. By the time we get through the Reagan administration, we're back down again to that 2-3%, that's historical average. And what we see is that was the way it was for the next couple of decades, right? And interest, inflation just became a non-entity, something we didn't talk about. In fact, as we got into the pandemic, the big fear was the same fear we had at the as during the, the collapse, the real estate collapse, back in uh, at the turn, you know, back in 2008. What happened was the collapse of the housing prices was taking money out of the system, and we worried about deflation. The prices would go down. And that's a really bad thing if prices go down, because then you can have wages go down. So we said, well, we better do something, and that was when we started pumping up the money supply. And the people that have been long-term, you know, oh, I'm scared about the last war, kept saying, well, don't put money in. But the reality was we kept increasing the money supply from the, the Great Recession. It came all the way through the next decade, right? And we didn't have inflation. We get to the pandemic, and we have inflation running at about 1%. Then what happens is all of a sudden they shut businesses down. Same thing. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have deflation. We're going to have a collapse of the economy. It's going to be the Great Depression all over again. Federal Reserve steps in, pumps in a bunch of money, gives people money, and what do we do? We didn't get the Great Depression. We didn't even get the Great Recession. We got through the pandemic with a really strong economy, came out the other end with a really strong economy. So we still have a really, really strong economy. Inflation is up a little bit, but that's not the same inflation like we've had before. It's really distributed very differently. You know, price of gasoline is way up. You know, it's like five dollars a gallon in some places. We got the price of used cars at forty percent over what they were a year ago. So some products have gotten very expensive. All products have gotten a little bit expensive, 
But the reality is we don't have the same conditions we had back in the 80s with stagflation. And by saying it's 7.5% inflation today, we're comparing it to a year ago, which was during the pandemic, at a time when inflation rates were near zero. So we had this non-inflationary period. Now we get a bump of inflation. The, re the point is, well, is it controllable? Right. Of course. Of course, because the economy's good. The economy's doing very, very well. So we don't have to, you know, it's not a situation where the money supply's running away, your prices are going down. In fact, wages are still growing faster than 7.5%, because we still have this demographic problem that we keep talking about of not enough work. Yeah. We need more immigrants, we need to get more workers, we need to get more people back in the workforce. But then at the same yeah, time, I was last, that was just my last point, Manny, and that was, I, New York Times ran an article today about dino babies where the IBM Corporation has been systematically trying to push older workers out of the company. And I was kind of like, okay, once again, not paying any attention to trends. Well, we know that IBM's been a really horrible company for a decade, hasn't made any money for its shareholders, prices down, revenues are down, profits are down. And doesn't, it figures they would be unintelligent enough to not realize that you need to keep those older workers. You need them in their 50s and 60s because you don't have replacement workers for them. And you need to be able to educate them, you know, put them into some new uh, programs if you need to, different learning cycles, bring them up to speed, but you can't just let them go. It's not, it's not an era now where you say, okay, so you reach a certain age, push them out of the company, let them go find, you know, I don't know, go work at, I think they used to say be a Walmart uh, check-in guy or something like that. Yeah, you know, Walmart greeter. <laughs> Walmart greeter. That, that world doesn't, it just doesn't exist anymore, right? And in fact, people no. in their 60s are bright, they're capable, they're hardworking. You know, they, they're ready to continue working. And you, you, if you were paying any attention to trends, you'd be saying, gosh, if I've got somebody with five, ten years in the company or more, and they work hard, and, you know, they, we just need to keep make sure we're, we're putting them in the right direction and keeping their skills up, that's much easier than trying to go out and find somebody in this labor market where there's a shortage of young people and a shortage of immigrants. So these things are, as you've said yeah. before, like dominoes. You know, they kind of they start falling down all around you, these trends. And we can see, you know, if you're reacting to the short-term thing, like, you know, I want a younger workforce or, or gee, inflation 7%, then you're, you're almost certainly going to be making bad decisions. Yeah, I agree. The, the labor market, uh, we were just talking about it earlier today, um, is just insane for highly qualified workers. Uh, this company that I'm at, at now is a civil engineering company. They're looking for workers. I have friends that own um, construction companies in Tucson. They're looking for people. Skilled labor is in massive demand at the moment. And and that's also, um, like you mentioned, with the older workers in IBM, you need, just need to be smart about how you do things. I mean, a trend is, is I think that the, the idea of getting rid of your older workers because you want to reduce your, uh, your burn rate um, is sort of like, if, it doesn't make any sense. You're, you're getting rid of the brain trust. You're getting rid of people that can help you bridge the gap and train those those young workers. And so yet again, you know, another bullet in the side of uh, the hole of IBM is going to slowly bring it down. And these dinosaurs, right, the, the GEs of the world, the IBMs of the world, they're just not looking at the problem in the, with the right light. And and they're the ones going to actually the, the people losing are the employees in this stage because the, the amount of value that IBM gives to the world is is reducing every single year. 
you know, we, we need to, again, we need our economy to grow. That's the big thing. You want the economy to grow. Keep old workers, older people working, you're going to have growth in the economy. You want to add people to the economy. And one of the things that I run into every once in a while is people who have this impression that, you know, I look at the background behind you right now in Phoenix, Manning, we see these tall buildings. And we're always taught, you know, we're always impressed with uh, how America goes about building these great cities. As, and, and I talk to people that haven't ever traveled outside the world and they have this impression that everybody else outside of Europe and the United States lives in a hut. <laughs> you don't realize, you go to Abu Dhabi, I mean, it's just as, the buildings are just as big, just as tall, just as sophisticated. You go to um, Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, it's the same thing. And so the, the issue, the thinking that, okay, you got to speak English and you got to be a you know, a, a Christian in order to be able to um, understand how to uh, how to grow an economy is just falsehood, right? People of all colors, people of all religions are capable of doing the hard work that's necessary to get things done. America has been that melting pot, melting pot where we brought people together forever in order to help grow the economy, give people jobs, move on to the next best thing. The people that are trying to stop that. We're trying to say, okay, I want everybody that comes into this country to look like me, sound like me, are just not aware of how the world is, is turning, the direction that things are going, and, and what you have to do to, to be able to recruit people. To, you know, to, people want to work. There are young people out there, but the people that have you know, too many children for the size of their economy, where it struggles are places like India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. And I don't hear anybody saying, oh, good, I want a lot more Afghanis brought into the United States, or I would like to have more Pakistanis brought in the United States. <clears throat> and that's really too bad, because there's a, there's a, a lot of opportunity to uh, help these people that are in bad parts of the world where they're struggling by bringing them here where we could put them to good work. Yeah, not only that, but if you consider the, the heads of the, some of these major corporations like uh, Alphabet, of course, the parent company of Google, like Microsoft, uh, like so many others, they're actually being run by sons and daughters of immigrants and even immigrants themselves. And it's, it's, it's such a misnomer that, you know, you've got, like you said, you've got to look a certain way, talk a certain way, be from a certain place to make it big in this world. It's, it's proven. You don't have to be, as a matter of fact. Uh, there's a lot more grit built into some of those folks because they've had to overcome uh, you know, walking into a, a distant foreign land and, and rising up to the occasion, that they've risen up to the very heads of, of these uh, major corporations. Yeah. So, again, uh, we talked about this a bit last week. You know, do we, are you paying attention to the eddy or are you paying attention to the flow, right? And the, looking long-term at the trends, you will pay attention to the flow. You'll be far more successful. Right now, if you're, paying, if you're worrying too much about inflation, then you're paying attention to the eddy. Right? Instead of paying attention to where the long term we need to go. Do, is there much chance that we'll continue with seven, eight, nine percent inflation for even two years? And I think the answer that's almost zero. Almost zero that that would happen. We do have, we had an enormous amount of supply chain interruptions. You have to remember everybody, we had, the shelves were stocked with goods. We had plenty of product out there. And then we said stop. And we started closing factories and we didn't make stuff. But when we didn't make stuff, we, we unfortunately had a lot of people die, but most all of us lived, right? So we continued to eat. We continued to wear our clothes. We continued to be in our houses. And we continued to wear things out. 
And so <laughs> as the pandemic has ebbed and waned, but we've tried to get you know, people back to work again, we've re realized that, hey, we went through three, six, nine, 12 months of not making some stuff. You know, so in some cases we were manufacturing, we had foodstuffs like dairy that we couldn't get couldn't get moved because, you know, the supply chain wasn't working right and the dairy product, the milk was being thrown on the ground. We had, uh, you know, inability to get the rice shipped to the right locations as it, it went bad. You know, we shut down famously the toilet paper plants, right? And then we had to bring them back online yeah. again. So w once we said, okay, fine, we, we, kept the we kept ourselves out of a depression. We put money in people's pockets. That was the failure of the Great Depression. People ran out of money and they had nothing, literally nothing. And they're, they're trying to figure out how to just scrape by day by day. We avoided that Great Depression with some really smart monetary policy and some smart fiscal policy. Now we come out of it, well, okay, now people are still living. They've got a couple of coins in their pocket. They're actually, wages are going up pretty quickly right now. The, the worker has the most power they've had in 40 years in the United States. And... Suddenly, we, we have a shortage of, of products, like used cars, so a shortage, all right? So now the prices of those things are going up. But is that going to stick around long term? And you say, well, no, because you know we're going to get back to a balance again. We're going to get production back up. Yeah. And as we get production back up, then, we, you know, these those pressures, short-term pressures on price, they're, you know, they're, they're going to change. Exactly. And so this is an excellent segue into a uh, discussion about our course, Adam, because I think that a lot of folks... Um, you know, they hear us talk and especially with conversations about trends, about where to take their business and they seem lost. They seem as though they, they don't fully understand what we're talking about. And that's where we've created this course called Think Innovation, as well as our course called uh, Unlock Growth. Uh, both of them work to help to really change your mindset and help you to think differently, think like an innovator. People like uh, Elon Musk and, and others they think differently and they think at a very fundamental level, but they always look at trends. They look at the needs of the customers. They look at what's happening with their competitors. And of course they understand and fully utilize uh, what these trends are. And so it's a great, great segue. We also, I also want to talk about a, um, a new thing we're doing called Spark on the Street, which is where uh, here locally, at least to begin with in Tucson and Phoenix, we're interviewing growth-minded entrepreneurs and business leaders we have a, uh, a host, her name is Sydney King, and we're gonna be releasing this here very shortly, talking to business leaders, understanding where they have their, their travels, their journey, what they've done to really grow. It's their fascinating little three minute, four minute videos that we'll be putting on our social media platform. We're also talking with a gentleman who's gonna be standing up a, a Roku TV channel, and so we're gonna be part of that. So a lot of exciting things happening in the future for Spark Partners, and of course we welcome you and your uh, Conversations, send Adam and I an email, manny at sparkpartners.com, adam at sparkpartners.com. We're accessible and we're here to help you uh, grow your business. So by all means, uh, step into that uh, that conversation. Adam, any final thoughts before we uh, we transition here? Just that the course allows people to set a foundation. Say this is the basis on which we're going to build our strategy. Understand trends, understand what's going on in the world, and then have the, the build out the scenarios of where the world is headed. And it gives them a, a framework for viewing current events. When you don't have a framework, when you don't have the trends analysis and you don't have that framework, then you get whipsawed by the current events. Oh, I'm being told to pay attention to inflation. Oh, I'm being attention, told to pay attention to a potential war in the Ukraine. You're whipsawed around and you say, like, I don't know, does that even involve me? And then you'll just fall back and pay attention to none of it. 
So you're either overreacting to the eddies or you're paying attention to not because you don't know how to separate what the eddies from the flow. This course will get you there. It gets you, it takes you through systematically the steps of understanding how, how you want to look at the world, bringing in external data, creating external fact sets, figuring out what future is going to look like, having those scenarios in place, and then setting a direction for yourself so you don't let yourself get whipsawed by the, by the, the front page news. Absolutely, Adam. Very good. Uh, always a great conversation, and we look forward to, to engaging more with our uh, community, Nanny at Spark Partners, Adam at SparkPartners.com. With that, Adam, we'll talk to Thank you Thank you very much, Manny. Cheers.